The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very honored that you would join me here on the Paul Leslie Hour. If you want to support the mission of the show, you can do so. Just go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. I promise you'll have good karma. Here's hoping that you're holding up with all the madness that's going on all around the world. Already I'm feeling a certain amount of normal. I guess as normal as you could get. This is an interview recorded in the hotel room of Tim Kreckel. He's a man who has since passed away. A man from Louisville, Kentucky. He was born October 10th, 1950, almost 70 years ago. And he passed away June 24th, 2009. Tim Kreckel was a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and a very nice guy. I'll never forget going into his hotel room. We finished the interview. It was several hours before the show. And he asked me if I wanted to stay in his hotel room and watch TV. And I have to tell you, not everyone is like this, but sometimes you do the interview and the attitude is, okay, now get out. He was a very unique recording artist and had a very unique sound. It was a blend of rock, country, some blues, Americana. He also wrote songs that were recorded by other people. Alan Jackson, Crystal Gale, Martina McBride, Patti Loveless. He also toured with Jimmy Buffett. He wrote a song with Jimmy Buffett called Morris's Nightmare on the You Had to Be There album. He wrote with a lot of great artists, everyone from Marshall Chapman, Matresa Berg, Danny O'Keefe, and others. This interview was recorded with a little digital recorder, and that night I got to see him perform. I remember he dedicated a song to me, which was, I thought, very kind. I know that a lot of you listening, you knew Tim Kreckle. And I hope that this interview is a source of some kind of comfort or maybe a fond memory that you have. Feel free to let me know what you think. We're sitting down with Mr. Tim Kreckle, but I'll just call him Tim. It's a pleasure to welcome you on my program. I've been looking forward to this, so thank you very much for making the time to do this. Sure, Paul. Glad to be here. Glad for you to be here. Thank you. I wanted to start out by asking you how you discovered music. Boy, that's a that's a good question. Really, I grew. Uh, I was a child of the fifties. I grew, was born in nineteen fifty, and I had two older sisters, and uh, who were in their early teen teen years in the fifties, and they started bringing home rock and roll records as soon as they started coming out. So, when I was six, seven years old, I was hearing Little Richard and. Uh, um, my father even had a jukebox down in the basement that somebody had given him, and there were uh, it had uh, blue suede shoes on it, and uh, Fats Domino doing Blueberry Hill, and Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. So I was exposed to all that at a very early age, and also there was a, a lot of uh, a lot of bands that played in, in Louisville. In the uh, there's, there's always been a pretty healthy local music scene, even starting back in the fifties. So uh, I was just always attracted to it, just kind of what, what I always wanted to do after I'd heard it. And so that's kind of it. Was bluegrass ever an influence on you 
coming from Kentucky? It, it became an influence when I was about 20, 19, 20 years old. I had already moved up to New York and played in a little band up there for five or six months, and then I moved back to Louisville. And um, I started playing at a place. I started. That's when I started writing songs, and I, I formed my first band where I was the leader of it and was the chief songwriter, and it was called Dusty. And there was a place on Bardstown Road in Louisville called the Storefront Congregation, and it featured bluegrass music six nights a week. And on Sunday night, they let me bring in my little trio to play. And uh, so uh, some young guys who were starting out in, in bluegrass then would come down to hear us play and ended up sitting in with us, Sam Bush and Tony Rice, who, of course, are now well-established as you know, bluegrass greats. But uh, So they, I got turned on to bluegrass through them and through going down and hearing them play because they came hear me play. And, um, and it was always around, but it... Uh, I remember going to see Lester Flatnell Scruggs, too, at Jefferson Town High School, which is a little high school out uh, right near my house about that same time. So it was, it was sort of, it was kind of popular right about then. Uh, I think because maybe the Bonnie and Clyde movie and the, uh, had that, uh, Foggy Mountain Breakdown was, was in that. And so it, it was kind of becoming more popular with a lot of people. So that's kind of when I got, exposed to hearing your music it seems like you're all over the place you know you, you can hear a lot of different styles in your music is there one in particular that's a favorite of yours uh, no <laughs> uh, and it's kind of like good music and bad music that's the, I think Duke Ellington said that and maybe it was Count Basie said that there's, there's only two kinds of music um, I've been exposed to so many different kinds of music, and I've loved them all. Uh, I'm really partial, though, to songwriting, uh, music that's driven by songwriting, by songs. And I think that's due to just the type of music I grew up listening to, the rock and roll. And then, of course, when the Beatles came into it and Bob Dylan, then it kind of, uh, the words became even more important. So, uh, so I've always, uh, I've always liked good music paired with good lyrics. So, you know, that's that's what I tend to listen to more than anything. But it can be lots of different genres. I mean, it could be, um, you know, of course, rock but and folk and, you know, Americana these days or whatever they call it. You know, I, I mean, I love John Prine and I love uh, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, I love... Uh, but I, you know, I love the Beatles. I love the Rolling Stones. I think they're great songwriters. So that's that's kind of my favorite type of music. When did you realize that you were going to be a musician? Um, <laughs> I think really. I mean, it's, it, this may sound strange, but I've actually been playing in bands since I was about eleven or twelve years old. Since the early sixties, pre-Beatles, I was actually playing in bands. And then when I heard them, and so. Uh, so, you know, the music grew so much during the 60s that, uh, and it was so, uh, um, creative, you know, and, and I just kind of caught the bug and I, I never wanted to do anything else. What is it that you like about music? 
do I what I like about it? Um, just about everything. I, I like that it had, it has a profound effect on people. Uh, it changes people's the way they think, the way they feel. Uh, you know, it, it moves people. That's what I love about it. It, it's a great way to communicate. It's 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 a genuine um, uh, communication between people, you know, of of real emotion and real ideas. You know, it's on on every level. So, there's a song of yours that I like a lot called "Glimpse of Paradise." Mm-hmm. I was hoping you could tell us about that song. That song. Uh, was actually written in a van, or not written in a van, but made up in a van. As I was driving home from Maine, uh, I go up to Maine every year. In fact, I'm going in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that live up there. and uh, uh, I go up and I take my kids up and we stay on this little lake up there and we stay for a week or two and I play gigs while I'm up there. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, the way I pay my pay for my vacations going up there and playing and uh, but we were leaving it was very early like maybe we had to get back to Louisville kids had to get back to school or something so it was a Sunday morning about 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning and I was driving down the road and there's this one little vista off uh, I think it's Route 17 and uh, you look out and you just see this farm and these hills and the mountains in the distance and it was and I always thought, well, this looks like paradise. And I just, that, that little phrase came to my head, you know, I just got a glimpse of paradise. And then, uh, then the song was just sort of wrote itself. Uh, we'd been to this, uh, party up on this mountain that our friends have. And they, they would have these big parties up there where people would camp out. There's no electricity or anything up there. And you just camp out with bonfires and, uh, there was an apple tree up there, and I remember an apple falling down and almost hitting somebody on the head. Just all these little images kind of came to me, and that's where the, the song came from. Um, and, of course, it, you know, it, I started thinking about what paradise would be to me, and uh, it would be a place without war. It would be a place where people weren't concerned with money and so much. And uh, love's the only law, you know. So that, that's where that song came from. There's another song on your album, The World Keeps Turning, called Turning Away, which was also covered by Crystal Gale. Yes, right? it was. Uh-huh. Tell us about that song. I wrote that song in the early 80s. I was writing for a publishing company in Nashville called Combine Music. Um, they, uh, other writers at Combine were Chris Christopherson, Billy Swan, Tony Joe White, uh, Larry Gatlin, uh, Larry John Wilson, who's a great uh, Georgia songwriter, and uh, anyway, there was a bunch of us who would try to write songs there uh, to get cut commercially. I had a band called The Sluggers at the time, and uh, I wrote this song one day, trying, I was really trying to emulate Buddy Holly a little bit when I wrote the song, as far as a very simple, uh, hooky kind of a rock and roll song, the way I originally wrote it. Uh, in my band, the Sluggers, we demoed the song that was going to come out on. We had a deal on Monument Records, but that deal fell through, uh, and so um, somehow or another, the uh, actually Al Cooley, the song plugger at 
combat and took the song to uh, over to uh, Warner Brothers where Crystal Gale was. And it, uh, the story I heard was she just saw the tape sitting on the desk and put it on and listened to it. But she actually found the song herself. And I don't know how true that is. So she ended up recording it, and she recorded it the way that we had demoed it, which is kind of has a rockabilly feel to it. And uh, and it went to number one. It was a number one hit for her in 1984, I think it was. And, uh, and subsequent to that, uh, a, a British artist named uh, Shaken Stevens recorded it, and it got into the top ten, I think, in, in England. Uh, Dave Edmonds produced that version of it. And uh, so, you know, it was a good song, and I loved it. And uh, so when I went to make this record, uh, <laughs> World, Keep, World Keeps Turning. Okay, I'm like that. <laughs> World Keeps Turning, which is kind of an acoustic. Uh, I've been playing a lot of acoustic gigs in the last, oh, six, seven years, uh, going out with just my guitar and playing by myself. And so I wanted to make a record that would kind of reflected that in a, I just came up with this little different version or uh, arrangement of that song and did it on, on that. Do you have a preference as far as playing by yourself or with a band? I like both. I really do. Uh, in uh, For economic reasons, I tend to play more by myself in the last few years. It's gotten very, uh, yeah, very expensive to take a band out on the road and do much with it. Uh, the band that I do have, we play around Louisville. Maybe we maybe play three, three or four times a month at the most. Uh, a great band. We have horn section, and uh, the guys are just great players. We have a whole lot of fun playing. It's very creative, and uh, I can get to turn my electric guitar up and let loose doing that. Yeah. But then I also I, I really going to appreciate just going out with my guitar and. and uh, you know, trying to put my songs over and people can hear the lyrics a little better and, and hear the song itself. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to where it's uh, become, uh, it, it really started out as a real challenge, uh, being a guitarist, uh, you know, trying to just play, uh, express my guitar playing by myself without the support of a rhythm section or another guitarist. But, it's it's been a challenge, but I've really grown a lot as a guitarist doing that, and I've really grown to love that, love to the sound of just the, the one guitar in my voice. You know, it's it's uh, just kind of a whole different dimension now. So, out of all the people that have covered your songs, and there's a lot of really great artists like B.J. Thomas, Jerry Reed. Mm -hmm. Is there any in particular that you find extremely exciting? Well, probably the most exciting on one level was uh, Ricky Nelson. Um, and the reason was, when I was first starting to play, I used to watch him on TV. And, uh, you know, it was one of the first things I was exposed to, was seeing him at the end of the show, the, the Ozzy and Harriet show back in the early 60s. At the end, he would always come on with his band, and his band was a great band. He had a James Burton from Louisiana playing guitar, and, and Joe Osborne on bass, and I think maybe even Hal Blaine playing drums, who all just went on to play on so many records by Elvis and everybody. And it was a great band. And Rick Nelson was actually, you know, I thought a pretty, he was a 
he wasn't just an actor singing. He was a he, he really loved. It. He had a great voice and he was a real expressive singer. Made some great records. So uh, in the early '80s, he recorded two songs of mine. He recorded a "Send Me Somebody to Love," which was on my first album for Capricorn, and "In My Heart," which was also in that on that uh, record. Uh, "Send Me Somebody" came out on a record. I think it's called. From Memphis, or it has Memphis in the title, an album of his that was released actually after his, his death in the plane wreck. Uh, and so, I, you know, it was kind of bittersweet that he was gone, but I felt so great that he had recorded and had put out that song. And then I didn't find out till later through a, a, another fan of his that he had recorded the, the other song in my heart, but had never gotten completed. Mm. And uh, I have a your rough cassette of him just singing it, you know, the basic track, which is pretty cool. Wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah. But then there, there's been so many other people, like Delbert McClinton recorded some, and I wrote with Fred Noblock that I thought was just a beautiful version of it, uh, called Blues as Blues Can Get. And uh, Kim Ritchie, who I co-write with, uh, has done three or four songs that we've written together, and she's just a great singer. And... Uh, then, of course, Patty Lovis had a number one hit with the song and Routine McBride. Um, so, you know, it, there's been some great, great versions of my songs. And I'm always excited when somebody does one, you know. It validates what you do a little bit, you know. <laughs> we had one artist on our show that talked about you a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, he actually cut one of your songs, and he's a great harmonica player. Named Greg Fingers Tim. Oh yeah, Fingers. He's my friend, my good friend. So tell us about the song "Over the Fence." Over the fence. Um, I wrote that song when my band, the Sluggers, um, we got a record deal uh, on Arista. We put out an album on Arista in the early to mid '80s, uh, which turned out to be kind of a wasn't a real pleasant experience um, the record kind of got wrestled away from us by the producer and turned into something that we weren't really crazy about did a lot of overdubbing and just sound wise and, and Arista didn't really the people at Arista were kind of went cold on it it was just sort of a, not, not one of my favorite experiences of recording but that song was written for that album and it, it in fact was the title track of the album and uh, it's just a kind of a straight ahead rock and roll thing. I, uh, it's, interestingly enough, and this hasn't happened very often, but I kind of woke up in the middle of the night with that whole idea in my head, and I think I got up out of bed and I uh, went to the bathroom so I wouldn't wake anybody up and, and pretty much wrote the whole song. Uh, I went back to sleep. <laughs> Luckily, I had a little tape recorder I sang it into, so, and I woke up the next day, and there it was. So. What did then, you think uh, of Fingers' version? I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, Fingers liked the song when he heard it. And uh, he was making a record in the late 80s. I guess it was 87 or 88 or something like that. And, um, we recorded it down at Jimmy Buffett's studio down in Key West. And uh, we wrote a couple of other songs together for the record. But he wanted to put that on it. And uh, I think it's really great. And I love his harmonica playing. He's such a great harmonica player. Yeah. Tell us about how you met Fingers. Uh, well, 
1970, I guess it had to be 76, maybe 77. Well, 76, I think it was, that I played with Billy Swan. I don't know if you know who he is. He had a record called I Can Help. Uh, if you got a problem, I don't care what it is, I can help. I got two strong arms, I can help. Anyway, he was a singer-songwriter. A friend of, he played in Chris Christopherson's band. He had a huge hit with the song I Can Help. And uh, after it had be, already been a hit, he decided he was going to put a, a band together, and he hired me to go out and play with him. That's the first time I ever went on the road. I was still living in Louisville. And we traveled to Europe and got great reviews in the Village Voice and traveled all over with this record. And that band broke up after a year because he actually wasn't making all that money, uh, much money doing it. You know, we were having a good time. But it was, he, so he went back to playing with Chris Christopherson as a sad man and still writing and stuff. So... I want. I had decided that I liked being on the road, and uh, and Billy said, "Well, uh, you know, if you, he was living in Nashville, say you want to come down here and stay at my house for a while, and, and you know, get out and meet some people." So I, I started doing that. I started going down to Nashville and uh, stayed at his house, and uh, subsequently, I got uh, I got hired to. Uh, play guitar behind this girl who was on CBS and they did a showcase in Nashville and um, the night of the showcase uh, Don Light who was Jimmy Buffett's manager at the time and Chet Atkins was, who was a friend of his had come out to, uh, to hear the showcase and it just so happened that Buffett was looking for a guitar player then. and so uh Chet Atkins made the recommendation. He said, well, why don't you, why don't you recommend this guy to play with Buffett? He evidently liked the last play, so that was pretty cool. Uh, so subsequently, I got called uh, by Buffett's organization, and they flew me down to uh, to meet Jimmy and see the band. They flew me down to uh, Sarasota, I think it was. And uh, so then stayed at this real nice hotel. I got there. Like on a Friday night, and the next morning was the day of the, this uh, big festival they were playing. So they, you know, they put me on the bus and that noon to go out to the festival site, and, and that's when I first met Fingers. And uh, Fingers was a he was a wild character back in those days, and uh, he always carried around a tape recorder with, and I was, you know, one of those boom boxes, and. Uh, I always had his blues going, playing, you know, just, you know, he was authority on the blues. And uh, so here I was, I was this new guy who they were getting to play guitar, and he was, he had been with Jimmy the Lamas. He was, had seniority, he was the, you know, the guy in the band. And so, he, I, I, you know, he immediately starts questioning me, you know, I really like the blues, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. And, <laughs> And I said, I like that. Uh, I like that Freddie King thing that's on there that's, that's playing right now. So okay, all of a sudden, oh, you know who that is, you know. And uh, then we started talking, and we became very close, fast friends. After that, real close. And in fact, uh, when I decided to move from Louisville to Nashville, uh, I ended up moving into the same apartment complex where, where he was living. We had some wild times back in those days. <laughs>
I'm glad we're here to talk about it. <laughs> what uh, What did you think of the experience of, of performing with Jimmy Buffett? You toured with him in the 70s for a while. For a year. Mm-hmm. And then didn't you play again later? Yes, I played in, uh, I think it was 87 and 88, I think is when I... Um, I, I well, I loved it. It was great. I'd never been in any kind of experience like that before. I mean, the first tour, uh, all of a sudden, we're open for the Eagles, you know, in these big stadiums down in Florida. And uh, I'd been, you know, I'd been with Billy Swan. We played some cool venues and stuff and traveled around, but it was nothing on this scale. And uh, Jimmy always treated everybody. Very nice, and I mean, yeah, you didn't have to carry your bags, you know, and you stayed in nice places. So, I mean, I, I loved all that aspect of it, and had a great band. I loved everybody in the band. Had Kenny Butchery playing drums, and fingers, and uh, uh, Jay Spill, this excellent piano player who ended up going with me and playing on my first album, uh, on Capricorn. Uh, so, it was a great experience, but I was young and I was really ambitious and wanted to make my own records. So after about a year, uh, I got a deal with uh, Capricorn through uh, Don Light, uh, who was Jimmy's manager, who subsequently was replaced. Uh, Jimmy's management became Irving Azoff. And, uh, but Don took me on as an artist and, uh, I got a uh, a deal on Capricorn Records, and so I figured, well, I'm going to go be a big star, and I ended up quitting the Coral Reefer band back then, and uh, which probably was a big mistake. I'm sure I could have stayed with him and made the record and had a good job and would have maybe, <laughs> who knows what would have happened. But anyway, that's that's how that went. Yeah. There's one song that you wrote with, with Jimmy that I always I always wondered about. He never plays it. But I've always thought it was a pretty, you know, it's a happy little song, but I always thought it was a good song, Morris's Nightmare. Morris's Nightmare, yeah. Well, that, that, uh, it was weird. Like, in fact, right when, I, I think I'd already given him the notice in you know, one of the last gigs. Uh, uh, we we got together in his room, and I played him a couple of ideas for songs, and uh, he liked that one. I think I just had the melody and maybe a little bit of the words. And so we ended up finishing up and then, and he recorded the song live in, in Atlanta at the Fox Theater. And, uh, yeah, I don't think he ever plays it. Anymore. It's a good song, though. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about your new record. You have a new album out. Yeah, it's called Soul Season. It's, it's been out now. It was actually officially released last September. So it's been going on a year now. It's got some really, really great reviews. Uh, uh, somebody in Philadelphia it was like on their top ten list for the year, and um, it was number one on one of the XM channels. Uh, I think it's called Cross Country for a couple of weeks, and um, so pretty good amount of records. Um, Obviously, it's not in the top ten or anything right now, but it's 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 done pretty well for us, and it features my band, uh, which I, these days I'm calling the Tim Crackle Orchestra, so it looks like TKO, of course. Um, we have a horn section, and uh, it's sort of uh, it leans a little bit on uh, on um, 
rhythm and blues from the 60s, kind of soul music. It kind of has that vibe to it. That's where the uh, name Soul Season came from. Um, it's In fact, it's got a song on there called Wilson Pickett, which uh, has gotten a lot of attention. And the song um, is based on a true story. Where I live up in Louisville, there's a cemetery right behind my house called Evergreen Cemetery. And uh, when Wilson Pickett died, I think two years ago, January, uh, I read in the paper that he's going to be buried back there. Uh, his mother's buried there and had family in Louisville, which I had, up until then I didn't know. So uh, the day of the funeral was a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I walked over there, and uh, sure enough, there was little Richard was over there, and there was all these black limousines. And so anyway, I ended up writing a song about that particular thing. And the hook is they buried Wilson Pickett in my backyard. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's it's got a, a lot of the old R&B, uh, maybe stacks, you know, Memphis feel to it. Um, but, it, I mean, it's not really retro, though. And uh, Marshall Chapman and I have a song on there, I Love Everybody. Uh, I went back and redid a song that, uh, that I'd recorded in, uh, in the 80s uh, called I Can't Help Myself. And uh, it's, it's a good record. I mean, I, I think it's really well recorded. Do you have a favorite song on the album? Um, boy, I, I like a lot of them. Um, I, I love the Wilson Pickett song, and it seems like that strikes a, a chord with a lot of people. Um, there's a song on that called uh, I Won't Leave You Alone that I wrote kind of, a, it was sort of was inspired by a little thing that my daughter had said. And, uh, but I think it's got a really, uh, it's a fun uh, to me, it sounds like something that would have been on the radio maybe 20 years ago or something. And it's got a real nice horn part in it and everything. I like that a lot. Um, I love the song Marshall and I wrote I Love Everybody. It's a great song. I just like the sentiment of that song. I love everybody. I love everything. I think Marshall Chapman is one of the finest writers out there. I do too. And I'm really <laughs> proud. I'm uh, getting to play with her a whole lot. We're very good friends. In fact, uh, as you know, we're playing tonight over at the uh, Swallow at the Hollow over here in Roswell, Georgia. You know, her and Tommy Womack, who's another great writer. Yeah. You know, if you're familiar with Tommy's writing. I saw him at Eddie's Attic one time. Yeah. yeah he was a clever guy. He was a very clever guy. So, Funny guy. <laughs> I like Tommy a lot. Did you meet Marshall Chapman through the Coral Reaver Band or? Well, I'd actually met her before, uh, you know, we were both living in Nashville in the 80s, and she had her rock and roll band, and I had mine, and in fact, uh, two of the guys that had played with her ended up coming over and playing with me and becoming the sluggers with me, Willis Bailey and Tom Comet, and they were her band when she did an album called Jaded Virgin, uh, but where we really started becoming friends was... Uh, I think it was in 1987, I went out on the road. Uh, Buffett had asked me to come back out and, and play guitar again with him because the guitar with Kyrus he had was leaving. And, and it was obvious that I hadn't become a big star, so he asked me to come out. <laughs> it's a sad man, which I was very happy to do. And uh, But he also hired Marshall Chapman to come out on a particular tour. In fact, that tour had so many great people out for that summer. He had Steve Cropper also came out and played guitar. The Memphis Horns, uh, 
Sam Andrews, and, I mean, uh, yeah, and uh, Wayne Jackson. And, yeah. Uh, God, it was just a great band. But Marshall and I, we kind of got to know each other a little better then. We weren't competing with each other then. We, we let our guards down, became good friends. We've been very close friends ever since then. We ride a lot together. And, you know, just, just enjoy each other's company a lot. Having been in the, the Corey for band back then and then coming back like probably 10, was it 10 years? About 10 years later, it was about. Did it seem very different or did it have an element of the same? It had elements of the same, but boy, the organization had really uh, picked up, I mean, and really, uh, it was very professional. The hotels were a little bit nicer and uh, it was always a private plane to ride around on and uh, and uh, we went to Australia twice, went over there and played New Zealand and Hawaii. And, you know, it, obviously he, he had uh, made a little progress in that 10 years. And uh, it was great. Uh, great band, great bunch of people to play with. I mean, all that stuff was exactly the same. The music was, um, you know, the, the musicianship and everything. Uh, the show had become more of a show, though which it has continued to evolve into. I think there's more of a show aspect to it. And uh, it seems like when I played with him the first time, it was a smaller band, and it was just a, had more of a band feel to it, you know, which, which as a musician we all love. But maybe as, you know, as somebody uh, observing from outside, it may not have been quite as interesting as it is now. Working your, the way back to some of your solo stuff, you mentioned some of your favorites from the new album. Overall, this is there's always a hard question for musicians. I've noticed. Overall, is there one song that means the most to you? No, <laughs> usually it's something I've written, uh, you know, recently. Uh, but I haven't. I'm, I'm in a little bit of a dry spell right now, which which that happens. It comes and goes. Um, but as far as I don't really think I have a favorite. There are favorites and songs that have kind of stayed with me through the years. You know, um, from the first album I did, I still love the song "Send Me Somebody." In my heart, are both I think real nice, good love songs, real good songs. Um, but I mean, uh, I don't know. That's too many. It's <laughs> too. I've written a lot of songs. <laughs> If somebody goes out and hears you play, or when somebody listens to one of your records, what is it that you hope that the listener gets out of that experience? Oh, just uh, maybe feel what you know what I felt when I wrote the song. Maybe you know, uh, just you know, but I, I, when I write, I mean, I try. You know, there's. You know, there's a certain amount of cleverness in writing, but there's also, a, you know, I think there's, I try to put a lot of emphasis on just the, the heart, you know, or, or, you know, the emotion, what, what you're trying to feel, you know, from what you're saying in the song. And, and I, I just hope that it connects with people on, on that level. What about when you're not doing music? What What is it that you like to do? Well, lately I've been doing so much music, <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of time because, uh, you know, I just really stepped up playing a whole lot. I don't know if you go on 
my website. I'm, I've been playing three, four, sometimes five nights a week here over the last few months. Um, but other than that, you know, it's just pretty much simple things. I have, I have a young daughter who's 13, so I spend a lot of time with her. I have an older daughter who's 21. I have two sons who are already grown and, and out on their own. My older son has a band that plays around the southeast a lot called the Mad Tea Party. Oh, I ha- I've yeah. played them on my show. Oh, hey, well, that's I my sure son, have. Jason Crepper. Yeah. Wow, they came through Athens, Georgia. Sure. Uh, and I want I was going to go see the show, and I didn't get the chance. We're going to miss them next time. They're worth a, worth a look at. It's him and his wife, Amy, and they're just uh, really uh, a lot of fun, a lot of energy. It's a great band. What a small world. Yeah. <laughs> and then my youngest son, Jay Nathan, lives out in San Francisco, and he's involved with, like, hip-hop and stuff. He's a really a, a great uh, wordsmith, man. He's really, really good. Plus, he's a great artist. Uh, so he, he's working on, like, uh, graphic novels and all this kind of stuff. But he's, you know, he grew up mostly, well, they both spent the last part of their lives over in North Carolina, Asheville, and, uh, that are associated with that community a lot. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I have two final questions. All right. The first one is, what is your all-time favorite meal? <laughs> wow, my all-time favorite meal. Well, I tell you what, I have, uh, and it's guys have kind of backed off on it the last years, but I've always been a great fan of the potato. Yeah, yeah, I love potatoes. Maybe see, I've got my mother was Irish, so maybe it's, that's where it is. But, uh, my girlfriend Debbie makes the best fried potatoes in the world. Uh, in a nice black iron skillet, you know, with onions and and, a, and, a, and an ingredient called soul seasoning. Another place where that comes uh-huh. from. And uh, you know, I can I can make a meal off of something like that. I also I like. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, like fried chicken. I, I like good southern cooking. Yeah. yeah. Down home cooking is what I like. There's a way I like to have potatoes, not to get too off topic, but uh, bake and then with sour cream, uh-huh. garlic, and a little dash of Worcestershire sauce. Well, I'll try that. That'll, I like a twice-baked potato, too. Have you ever, I, I uh, had that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> now for the final question. Thanks to the power of technology, this broadcast is going out all over the world. Great. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I'd like to ask you, what would you like to say to the world? What would you like to say to all those people that are listening in? Wow. That's a big thing. Well, let me just say this. Just love one another, you know. Accept each other for who you are. and and Because, uh, boy, that's what the world needs right now. Stop all this fighting. You hear me? Stop it. Get along. We're all alike, really. Underneath, we're all alike. That's you know, true. We're all people. We all have families. And we all want the same thing. So that's my wish for the world. Well, Tim Crackle, thank you very much. It's thank you, pleasure Paul. speaking with you. Thank you, Paul. Enjoyed it. Bye. Booba shy, a key napa tea to lock, seek a papu to get gone.
Goodbye.